So I have a special guest today that I'm so excited to introduce everyone to. This is Panilla. Thank you. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. I pronounced your name right. So thank you for um, agreeing to come and chat uh, with me and all the viewers about about um, you and some of the uh, insights and, and different things that have happened to you in your life. So maybe just start by giving us a little background into you. Where did you come from, and uh, how did you, you know how were things growing up, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I'm Danish. I'm living in the UK at the moment, but I am Danish. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, uh, I'm autistic. I actually want to start by saying that I'm autistic. I'm Asperger's, um, but I'm late diagnosed, so I didn't know as a child. I just knew that that you know I was different, and I perceived the way differently. Um, I grew up in a very small town and we and I went to a great great school where everybody knew everyone so it was it wasn't you know in 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 the younger years that I that I really picked up that I was different because me preferring being in the library or preferring you know sitting with the adults uh, at school and not really liking being out playing and didn't really have any you know I didn't really have a girlfriend. I had one girlfriend when I turned 13. That was the first girlfriend I had because it just I, it just didn't, you know, gel. It didn't click. Um, so I, I, I knew I was different. Um, and and I knew that it, it was like other people understood things in a way that I didn't. Now, I've, now you know, looking at it in retrospect, I can see that it, it felt like everybody was had been given this manual to life. You know, they had really got the memo and I just didn't pick up on it. Um, so, and then I stumbled across um, Buddhism when I was around 13. Um, I was living, I was raised by my dad and, um, and, and uh, he started meditating. Well, my dad, he's a psychologist. And uh, I usually say that I grew up in a mental institution because I did. We, my dad, he's a psychologist and we lived in one of the buildings uh, on, the, on, on the compound, um, which was there. Um, so it was actually super protected and really, really lovely um, place that I grew up in. And so I, the other children that was living there was also children of of doctors and psychologists and therapists that were working at the hospital. Uh, and one of the doctors there, um, he started, he was Theravadan and he started to, to meditate. And my dad, he went to meditate and I just tagged along and I absolutely loved it. It was mm. just, it completely, oh, completely clicked in me. Yeah. It completely, completely clicked in me. It was like, um, that sense of calm that I had, um, as an artist, we tend to mask a lot because we really, really, really try to be normal. Uh, so we really try, you know, to fit in. And I just felt that uh, that with the meditation, I just had, you know, it was like I arrived, you know, in my body. And um, and the one that, that was leading uh, the meditation there, my dad, he then stopped and I continued. And um, and he was uh, he, he was really, really great. And he, com he completely knew, you know, that, that joy that I had of learning. I have that, that autistic yearning to learn. Um, and I see patterns everywhere. Um, and, and I, I, I read very, very quickly. So it's like, you know, a book a day. Um, so he, hmm. the first thing he did, uh, was giving me the Satipatthana Sutta. And, and I thought it was amazing. The Satipatthana Sutta is, um, it's a Sutta that is teaching you that when you're walking, you're walking, when you're sitting, you're sitting. When you're drinking, you're drinking. So it's it's basically about being present in the moment and not multitasking in any way. 
And for my little mind, you know, that just went like, like that all the time. It was really, uh, yeah, uh, a huge, huge insight in, in, in slowing down and just taking one thing at a time. Um, he then also gave me the Pranya Paramita, which is the Heart Sutra, which is saying, one of the sentences in, in that is that form is emptiness and emptiness is form. And I did not understand that. And I think it took me the better part of 12 years <laughs> until I understood that. <laughs> until I understood that one. So, yeah, meditation was just yeah. a, a basic, you know, practice for me um, from a very young age. Um, and, and, mm. I, and I just used it, you know, to, to get calm and to... Um, uh, as an artist, we when we get overstimulated, we we usually react in two ways. Either we react with meltdowns, where it's like you know, it's like an a, a physical you know emotional sneeze. You cannot hold it back, and it's just aggravation. And and a lot of artists they tend to um, you know trash everything around them or they self harm in some way. You know, bang their head against the wall or hit their hand into the wall or cut themselves or anything like that. Um, I don't react with meltdowns. I react with shutdowns, which means that I, um, mm. it, it's like my my mind can't take in anything more. You know, I'm done. I, the way that the level of mm. um, of sensory experiences that I have through my sense of smell and my sense of hearing and my sense of of seeing and touching everything is just too much, too much. So the brain kind of completely shuts down, um, and I and I tend to go mm. mute for yeah for for hours or days it depends on on how long it takes mm. to come back um so what i really um at, at some point and i can't remember at which point it was but i um with that part of of the shutting down um i got help with 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 asking the question can you be in a body that is completely overstimulated and at first it was like no i can't no i can't i can't i can't be anywhere so the next question would be, can you accept that you cannot be in a body that is so stimulated? And it gave me that insight mm -hmm. about, about accepting the things that I cannot accept. And with that, I create mm -hmm. a space in me that, that makes it possible to even be in the worst considered, you know, the, the worst incidents, the worst things happening in my life, um, the worst sensations that I have in my body. Um, because I, I create space for the acceptance of not wanting what is, then there's no fight anymore. Mm. So I'm not fighting for it to I end. It. I'm not fighting for it to stop or go away. I just create, you know, with compassion and, and, and love, just create space to what is there. And is there anyway? I'm just creating mm. space to what is. And by mm. that, a lot is dissolving by itself. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm curious about what you mentioned with um, masking, a couple of things. One was uh, you described masking, uh, and as a child, being more interested in being around adults, did you find that in some way your your maturity level was sort of beyond the, your peer group, or or and or was there a sort of not understanding the social cues? I think that was part of my question. Was yeah, you mentioned everyone had a map for something you didn't have was it how did it have to do with social cues and how to act socially and how to just you know talk the way people talk and stuff yes it's um uh, yes it's mm -hmm. 
uh, my answer to both questions is yes. Um, it was um, it, it's very much it's very very much about social cues because a lot of communication is not verbal. Uh, the majority of communication is uh, is is understood between the lines, and I do not see between the lines. Mm. Um, mm. So so yeah, so that that's one thing. Um, another thing is I'm I'm not good at small talk. I'm not good at at chit chat. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in my forties or something like that until I understood that that small talk and chit chat is a way for people to acknowledge the other person's existence. It's not meant to be to go anywhere which in my mind is so illogical yeah. i mean why talk why not just be quiet then if, if it's not going anywhere then just be quiet <laughs> but but the, the social convention is you know to stand and talk about absolutely nothing and in my mind that is just odd but mm -hmm. after i understood that it's about acknowledging the other person's existence then 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 i i understand the other person's need to be acknowledged in their existence i don't have that need they do i'm fine i can acknowledge your existence but it's something that I do. Mm. Yeah, I'm really, really bad at it. I mean, we should try one day, Angelo, to see if I can small talk with you. It's, it's. I'm really, really bad at it. It always turns into, you know, something super, super profound. You know, so how, how do you do? You look forward to your day. Small talk is hard for me as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's how I feel. Like, I think I learned. I was able to learn social cues, but but they always felt um, inauthentic to me. Uh, yes. uh, not the social cues that felt inauthentic. The Communic communication sometimes felt inauthentic, especially when there's small talk and, and unclear communication. There is one interesting thing I wanted to say is there's a there's a, uh, a linguist who is also a f uh, she's still alive. She's also a feminist uh, philosopher. Her name is Deborah Tannen, and I think back in the 80s, maybe 90s, she wrote on this the way people use language, and she kind of divided into male and female, but there's definitely crossover. And she said often men use language for report. And women use language for rapport. But she said language is used in both ways. It's used to exchange information, but it's also used to sort of bond. To, and and that, that was really hard for me to understand. I didn't get that. And probably for me also, because my family just didn't bond very well anyway. <laughs> they didn't make good emotional connections. So I didn't understand the sort of small talk, you know, what are we, like banter, things we don't, I'm not sure even what we're talking about. And yet, some people seem to know really how to speak that way. I just didn't. And so mm -hmm. I would try to default to information somehow. And it, just, it doesn't fit in that setting with certain people that are trying to bond with you or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also about, um, uh, I also experience it now. You know, if I'm receiving an email for somebody that wants to bond with me, I'm trying to look for what, what is it you want? You know, where, where, where is it? You know, I need the bullet points and then we do that and then we do that. So I need to forward it to a friend that is then reading it and telling me, ah, okay, no, it's only because she wants to bond with you. Ah, okay. Then I know what we're talking about because I, I don't, I can't pick up. It's like, there's nothing to grasp on. Is that talking in circles thing? <laughs> And, and another thing that is, and that's very, very typical for autistic women, it is that we really struggle bonding with neurotypical women because that um, mm. that closeness and that, um, oh, let me see if I can say this in a way without, I'm really not trying to offend anyone in any way. I just want to make that sure, sure. make sure that everybody knows that. It's But it's that, um, that then she said, and then I said, and then she said, and I said, I'm completely lost in, on communication like that. Um, how about we meet and then we talk yeah. it out and then it's sorted. You know, I, I can't I can't follow the, the drama. I can't create a drama. 
out of nothing, mm-hmm. I tend to resolve the drama if there is any. That's one thing that I struggle with. And the other thing is that I'm really, really bad at, um, I'm bad at, you know, checking in with a girlfriend all the time for her to know what I'm doing and, and you know, and then calling and all of that. So I lost a lot of girlfriends on that account because um, they felt that I didn't prioritize them. Uh, they needed, you know, mm. me to to follow the rules of when they have written, then I reply, just a small thing like that. Um, and it, it's not about that I didn't want to be their friend. I really, really wanted to, and they meant a lot to me, but it's just not, it's, it doesn't come natural to me. I contact them when there's something to talk about. Otherwise, I can't see the idea of contacting. Mm-hmm. So so it's like, a, and so therefore, yeah. it's, I've never really had girlfriends, um, uh, neurotypical girlfriends. I have autistic girlfriends because we are the same, you know, don't speak for three months, and then it, mm. we, you know, pick up where we left off. So I've always um, communicated mm. better with men because men has, has more mm. of that, you know, very direct. And if there's an issue, then we talk about it. There's not the, how are you doing? I'm fine. And then I'm supposed to know that you're not fine when you say that you're fine. It's, it's you know, that that is not, it's, um yeah. Yeah. So. I know what you mean. I, to- I totally know what you mean. And I also heard it, it's somewhat cultural too, like a, it's a co- more common thing in the United States to do small talk than who I think I saw someone was German. Someone was German. Make, they made a video about it. And they said, yeah, we, we don't do that really much here. And so I think some cultures also don't value small talk or whatever, um, whereas some some do. And I, I can tell you, I've struggled with that in a lot of ways my, my in my life, too, is like, I don't know what it is. I, small talk is a great word for it. I, I didn't even know I would have called it that. But it's it's just that that back and forth kind of maybe it's, it can be a little gossipy. It can be a little, but, but I'm, my mind's going, what, what are we really talking about? Like yeah. what, and then I, I think what I learned to do is when I really learned to communicate on an emotional level now, I, now I do know, but I feel, I feel it. I feel some, maybe some insecurity. I feel some restlessness in the person. So I feel what they're feeling. It doesn't really matter what they're chit chatting about. So, yeah. so I kind of try to negotiate it in that, at that level of like, maybe offer comfort. Maybe I put my hand on their shoulder or give them a hug if I know them well or whatever. But, um, but I, I can feel that restlessness. And if I know them well enough to talk about emotion, often that's what I'll talk about. I'll be like, you know, how are you feeling like right yeah. now? <laughs> you know, yeah. how does your body feel or things like that are direct, you know? Yeah. But, that, that's, that's one of my yeah. autistic superpowers that I'm, I'm really good. I have an amazing sense of smell. I can smell, I can smell diseases and I can smell emotions and I can, I'm like, you know, one of those watchdogs at the mm-hmm. airport. Right. Um, I, I can I can smell oh. a lot of things and, and so if I can I can smell insecurity and I can smell um, fear and I can smell you know um, stuff like that and then I when once I realize that okay there's there's something I'm completely missing out on here you know the whole understanding um, then I then I started to get really interested in in body language and micro expressions and 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 I became a psychomotoric therapist that is uh, one that is basically looking at at um, at how the body is moving and understanding on an emotional level what is what is behind the way that the muscles are you know pulling and <clears throat> pulling and pushing uh, in different ways because that is tied in with with our development since we were you know in the womb and then you know the muscles were developed when mm-hmm. we were kicking ourselves out during birth and then creeping and crawling and walking and all of that and and also on the social mm-hmm. level and with social interaction and the emotional and psychological development the muscles are developed in different ways so getting that degree was really really helped me a lot in understanding a lot when i 
when I see a person coming walking, I can read who the person is and then I have, a, have an idea what we're going to talk about or what it is. So it's kind of, it is kind of like a cheat sheet, you know, to, to understanding mm -hmm. it. But I, I still Beautiful. don't pick up on, on, um, what do you call that incentive? You know, the underlying meaning with things I take things for, for oh. face value, you know, I, um, I'm very, very easy to, 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 to trick and, and uh, deceive and because I completely take everything on face value. So I'm, I'm super, super gullible in that sense. Yeah. Hmm. I would like the uh, Pinocchio I also thing. want to ask you. That would be great. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I would also be curious uh, about your experience of the sense fields when you were younger, maybe before awakening, like some autists will describe certain senses, the visual sense maybe, or sound being so almost invasive. It's so intense. Yes. You don't know how to mitigate it. So that, that can make it distracting and hard to focus on like very subtle things like visual cues, for instance, uh, yes. in other people or things like that, because the senses are so intense in some ways. Did you, did you have that as well? Yes. Yes. I have, I've always had it with a layer of sound, but it's, it's very much my smell that I have it with. Um, as I said, I was living in a mm -hmm. in a very beautiful area of, of Denmark and there was a huge forest uh, close by. And I always loved to run um, and, and running in the forest, especially during the early morning and, and tusk, you know, early when the twilight, when it's like, you know, uh, at night. Um, and I always felt, felt safe running because I could smell people coming before they knew that I was there. And then I could smell, you know, if it was a man wow. or, or man or woman, or if they were, you know, if they, if if it was one of the people that were, you know, in the hospital or somebody else. Um, and obviously, if it was somebody, you know, one of the patients, I knew I would be safe because they were medicated. It's not like all the loonies out there that are not medicated. Um, so yeah. So it's it's more it's more my sense mm, of smell. Oh, smell. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. And it also you, makes are you it, synesthetic naturally? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, cool. I, uh, for example, I taste color. I taste a lot of colors. Um, mm. I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's that, it's that crossover, you know, I, um, and I smell feelings as I yeah. said, and I, yeah. I didn't have that naturally, but it, yeah, yeah, I didn't have it naturally. Uh, but after non-dual realization, it was like, I can't separate them in one sense. Exactly. Um, but, exactly. but yeah, that's really, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it is, it is one of the uh, things. So, when, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. It, it is one of the things that went. We're, we're on that time delay thing. So yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, it is one of those things. I'm I'm working with the fetters um, from the from the Buddhist text from from the the Theravadan um, tradition. Uh, it's from a sutta called the Samyutta Sutta, which is about the the, the ten fetters, um, and and that just makes complete sense to me. And when the six fetters fall, that is about um, about the form and the formlessness, um, all the dimensions, the way that we see things. Um, when that falls synesthesia is one of the you know things that happens that you start to smell numbers and you <laughs> start to to feel music and you start you know that the 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 experience of the, the sensory experience 
um, is not limited to to one sense anymore. It's in yeah interwoven mm-hmm. into all the senses, and and also between mm-hmm. people, also between people the mm-hmm. the 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 what how can I say the the distance or the dimension between two people um, completely completely evaporate and it's like you are with the other person mm. if if that person is you know is is there as well mm. yeah yeah <clears throat> for me it was also a, a big leap in uh the the feeling the physical feeling of love mm. just being around like an, an animal or another human being because i can feel them there even yeah. without any identity or story their their aliveness their energy them you know whatever that energy is in that in the energy field and so yeah before that it, love was reasonably intellectual for me i think in one yeah, sense like i had emotions that were associated but after it's an instantaneous sort of full-on experience and it's not a it's not it's not about based on your convenience or your preferences or even really whether it's a good person or bad person it's not really like that you just you just feel it and it's uh very tactile very visceral and alive but 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 also with, I have it with with people and animal, but I also have it with nature. You know, I can feel like immense mm-hmm. love sitting and looking at cloud formations, for example. I have a thing about clouds, that mm-hmm. that uh, movement and that layer of colors that are even in a when when it's just gray, when it's it's seemingly gray. You know that mm-hmm. that movement of colors that is happening is like it's such a profound feeling of love that I get when I'm sitting and looking at. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I actually also have it with inanimate objects too. Like uh, I can feel so much connection to like a, just the wall or the floor or my hands or um, it, yeah, everything becomes a focus of meditation, you could say. Yes. But that the interconnection is so profound. It's it's what I would wish for anyone really um, yeah. ultimately to know that, yeah. know that sameness. Or, yeah, yeah. And it's it's also why um, what I'm working on on my channel because I know that obviously I perceive the world differently because of my brain because of my autistic brain and my neural pathways are shorter so I perceive the world differently, but but what I have what I have experienced is that with the Fetter work, it it really really makes it so accessible and because it's logic you know you take one attachment mm-hmm. at a time yeah. and then you dissolve it and there you go. You know, off you go. And then it's just sorted. Yeah. It's just very, very logic and very accessible. And I absolutely love that. And and also another thing I really love about it is that you cannot be forceful. You cannot wanting to do it because then you lose it. It's like grasping water, you know, you completely lose it if you if you're trying to grasp it. So you need to completely let it go. And and instead of instead of um of um um how can I say making it happen, then you just let it happen. So it's also very much about surrender mm. and, and, and giving up the idea that there is a you that can actually do something, control something and move things in a certain direction. You know, that complete delusion needs to be dissolved. Uh, and, and then, then it, mm-hmm. it just happens all by itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, my Zen teacher used to say this beautiful thing. He would say, uh, he'd tell a story where he would try to force himself to become one with a flower or something, you know, object and... And it was so it was so stressful for him, he said. And, and and then at one point it just dawned on him to just become still and let it everything overtake you. Let the environment overtake you. And um, that's a good way of saying it. it. It's something like that for sure. Uh, maybe let's let's 
go back a bit and talk about what got you interested in spirituality per se. Well, you you talked about meditation already, but uh, when did you start to approach the the sort of awakening, or did you start doing self inquiry, or did you have other practices no. like that? No, no, not at all. I didn't have no. any. Um, I was um, I was very very autistic in the way about about enlightenment and about awakening that that cannot happen. You know, it happens. 2000 lifetimes from now so it wasn't even on my radar it wasn't something i was looking on looking at or wanting in any way at all um but i had been very very i want to say i had been very very diligent with my with my meditation practice and i was very um very i mean i've always been, I've been traveling a lot been yeah living in been to 31 different countries i've been traveling a lot i've been living in a lot of countries and i always had the dhammapada with me because it's just it just yeah i just love the dhammapada and then the Tao Te Ching. so i've really really you know um really worked diligently with that and i've always um yeah read the suttas and i love the the monotony of the suttas the that that repetitive meditative uh, state that you get into when you read them and you do it with your breathing I absolutely love that so I've been doing that a lot but mm -hmm. I hadn't any idea that I could become awake at all and then I um, then I uh, I got cancer and uh, and I I got uh, malignant melanoma and I got four months left to live um, and I was completely frantic. I had just had my son and I was completely frantic and finding out how I could, you know, cure myself from that because I was like, nothing happens out of nothing. Nothing comes of nothing. You know, there's always a condition. There's always a, some, a reason to why things happen. Um, and I was, you know, reading, that was before the internet. So I was reading, reading frantically, you know, in, <clears throat> in books and trying to find a solution for, for it. And then I, um, I read somewhere, I have no idea where, but it was like, I'm very much into medical studies and, and, you know, I love stuff like, I love biochemistry and neurochemistry, so I always loved it. Um, and I read a study, um, or something, it was something like that, where there was like a quote where it said that, um, 80% of all cancer patients die, a hundred percent of all people die. And it was just, um... Mm -hmm. It was just, it just said like click in my brain. I just understood that that frantic, frantically searching not to die was completely delusional. You know, I'm not, just because I have cancer doesn't mean that I'm dying more than anyone else. You know, I can be, <laughs> I can be hit by a bus before I die of cancer. So it's like, why, why, why fight? You know, not to die when I'm mm. right now, not dying. I'm here right now. Why fight and be mm. fearful about what will happen in the future when for sure I am going to die? So I went to bed with that complete mind-blowing realization. And when I woke up, um, I was awake. Um, mm. And I, I, I can't tell you what happened and I can't tell you... Um, what it was it was just different everything was different uh, everything was different mm. i had no attachment to to living uh, i had no wish for dying but i had no attachment in mm. in not dying or being alive and i was just the 
all the stories I had, you know, with, with childhood and neglect and um, not having friends and being weird and all of that, it was just, it was just gone. It was just gone. It was just like, mm. it was just like, it was like um, waking up from from a really really bad movie script you know stepping out <laughs> from the from the scene and 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 just and 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 that was and then i stepped into into life and that was just it and the funny thing was angelo mm-hmm. um after i woke up i understood the para, uh, the pranya paramita i understood the heart sutra the form is emptiness emptiness is form yeah. is love. wow wow i understood mm-hmm. it you know really really understood it um yeah, you yeah. understand it, and you also see it right in front of your face. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. can never forget it. No, 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 no. So beautiful. Yeah, it really, really is. Yeah. Really, really is. And that that really, really deep, profound understanding of that. I have always, I I love knowledge. Like when I was a child, I was reading encyclopedias. It was like you know the best thing to sit and read. It was encyclopedias. Um, I loved sitting. Back then we had phone books, you know, and I love sitting and looking at phone books and seeing the pattern in the numbers. It gave me kind of like a solace and that, you know, remembering how and, and counting, you know, multiplying, counting how many Petersons there was in the phone book. Stuff like that was my childhood fun. Um, and I've always loved that, you know, grasping of uh, of knowledge and always and also, like I said, with the cancer, I was so sure that I, I, I am going to find out why. I'm, I got cancer. I am going to find out it is, and I am going to, and that fighting just ended because I understood I'm never going to know. There's so many things that I'm never going to know and I'm not supposed to know and nobody knows. And it's not meant that you shouldn't, um, it's, it's not meant to go into a resignation or into an apathy because even that would be just as delusional. It's just the other side of it equally delusional Mm -hmm. but it was just that that grasping for it was just gone and and funnily enough um my cancer evaporated it just wasn't there Mm. anymore Mm. when this occurred did you think uh, I know what this is. This is what they're talking about in the suttas. Nope. Or did no, you no, relate no, no. that, or you just knew that it was just clear? Yeah. I had, I again, I had no idea what it was. Um, I, I just knew things was different. Mm. You know, I was, um, I was just present in a different way. I wasn't scared anymore. Um, I mm. didn't have any preferences towards one thing happening or another thing not happening. I didn't have that preference anymore. I was more like gelling with everything, just flowing with everything. And I thought it was just, you know, I thought it was just that, you know, clarity that some people have after they have, you know, a diagnosis like cancer, you get that clarity of life. And I thought it was just that. I had no idea what it actually was. That wasn't until much, 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 much later. Hmm. Now, did that change or evolve or deepen over time, or was it sort of clear from the beginning and stayed that way? Um, um, I felt it was. I felt it was clear, um, and I felt it was just um, unchangeable in the way that 
things cannot be unchangeable, if you know what I mean. Nothing ever is. Um, mm -hmm. So I had like that. I, I still had um, all the things. Um, um, I I then um, started to, to study medicine and became a naturopathic doctor and specialized in, in a field that is called anti-homotoxicology, which is about how a disease is developing and how it is regressing back to back to health again. Um, and I was trying, you know, with my, with the consultations and with the patients that I had, I, I was trying to, to mix this understanding of no self into it without talking directly about it. And I've never used Pali words or anything like that because I didn't want, I didn't, I didn't want to, to limit, um, the people that came to me in any way. I wanted like everyone to come to me. So I've never used Pali words um about it and then i then i started having um i had a huge waiting list uh seven months waiting list um so i started having groups instead where where i yeah where i was teaching in uh, in a six months uh group setting where there would be like between 20 and 40 people there and they would be there from like 10 in the morning to five in the evening with one lunch break and not the rest of the time was just me standing you know doing my my autistic oversharing, um, and it was really, really great. Mm. And and uh, it's 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 so nice. Also now, when I when I meet some of the ones that participate, I remember all of them. That's another thing. With I had uh, aesthetic memories, uh, so so I remembered everything. Um, I'm really good at remembering uh, what I have read and where I read it, and use it interdisciplinary. So I, that's again an autistic superpower. Um, and even when I meet some people, some of them now, that's like 20 years later, they're just like, oh, it was such a great time because we, you know, it was just, yeah, it was just really, really magical. Um, mm. and, I, and I published three books um, in Danish, uh, not not specifically about that, but, but in a way where it's about how you can, you know, change the inside of your life with every single area of your life and then kind of like, like turning a kaleidoscope in every single area of your life, you end up with a different result, obviously, because we tend to 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 mm. choose to do in life either as we have been taught to do or the opposite. So if you have if you have been neglected as a child, you tend to go, I'm not going to neglect my children, you know, not at all. I'm not going to neglect them at all. Or you're just going to copy paste what you were taught and neglecting them. And both are neglect because you're not neglecting your children, but you're still neglecting you. So the starting point is the same. Nothing has changed. So the only way that we can do to, to get out of that starting point is to do something completely different. And that is what happens when you're working with the first three fetters, you know, which is about non-self and doubt, and then the habits. And habits is like a big, mm -hmm. big one because we have that tendency to create our lives around ourselves uh, within our habits you know we do things with a purpose i'm i'm going running because i want to lose weight i'm meditating because i want to become enlightened i'm eating healthy because i want to live long we, we're not doing anything for the sake of it we're doing it because of something and in that we're completely lost mm -hmm. because we're delusional when we think that we can manipulate the future into being a certain thing <clears throat> sorry by doing mm -hmm. a certain thing it's not how it works you, I mean, you can eat healthy from now on and, you know, until you're hit by a bus. It, it's not really, you know, it's not a, any insurance of any kind to do a certain thing. 
So therefore, it was very much focused about the first mm. three feathers in in the group. Mm. That's beautiful. So I, I like that you emphasize the third <laughs> feather there. It, is, it tends to get grouped in with with the first feather, but um, but I think it plagues people for a long time. Actually, that that sticky mindset around uh, even even spiritual practices. Um, not seeing that things are simply happening the way they're happening and to, to fully just give yourself to that or let that overtake uh, is one, one way of moving through life. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a beautiful way. It's an immersive way. Uh, then there's another way to stand back just enough to keep telling yourself a story about why you're doing it and why this happened and why you're going to do this to cause that. Uh, it can sneak its way in there yeah, <laughs> pretty easily. Um, so how do you, how do you, how might you work with somebody about that specifically? Well, um, I've, I focus the, the, the two major things that I focus on is that first of all, um, become aware of your thoughts and really noticing that the thoughts are like any other sensory experience you have. It's like sense of smell, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching the thoughts is the same thing. And in the thoughts we have the being or we have the selfing. And the selfing is when we when we put the yeah. ego in. I love using the word that Jung had from where he calls it an ego, because nobody wants to be egotistical. So it's great. Yeah, there you go. So the selfing is when you are is is when you are egotistical. When when you when you have an ego, you put yourself in the center, and you view everything from there. How do you dare to talk to me like that? Why did you not do what I wanted you to do? Oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, I do want to do that. It's with the it's with the ego in the middle. So it's the selfing in the middle, and it is so self-serving, and 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 the needs that is within that, it's always from a starting point of I am not. I should be. So I am not okay. I can be okay if I really pull myself together, or I'm not as rich as I want to be. I can be. So it's very much about, it's, it's the starting point is lack. The starting point is not being okay as I am and doing everything I can to be okay or at least manipulate the world into a place where I them then will be okay. And that is created in the thoughts. Mm. So reaching a, a space where you, where you can look at your thoughts and see that it's you, just like you don't need to do anything when you smell a strawberry or you hear a sound, you don't need to do anything. It's the same with the thoughts. You don't need to do anything. Just observe what is happening and then look at it like you were an anthropologist. You know, be really, really curious to what is motivating me right now. What is the underlying motivation factor for me to do this? And do I really need to do it? Because you, just because you have a thought doesn't mean that you need to do anything about it. And the same with feelings. That whenever you have a feeling, we have a tendency to not wanting to have a feeling that is that is icky and you know unpleasant and really really wanting another feeling that is really really nice so it's the same it's the same pattern you know i am not i i should be you know i do not want this feeling i want that instead so it's the same thing mm -hmm. and whenever we have an an icky feeling in us that we don't want um for example if i have a feeling of shame I do not want to walk around feeling shameful. So I'm doing everything I can not to be shameful, not to feel shameful. And in that, I'm completely bypassing and gaslighting myself of what is actually happening because I am feeling shameful. Own it. Mm -hmm. I am feeling shameful. And then we're back to the question mm -hmm. that I asked before. Can I be in a body that feels shame? 
And it's either, yes, I can be in a body right now. I'm super shameful. I'm not doing anything. I'm just feeling the feeling. Feelings are not supposed to be acted on. They're supposed to be felt. So just feel the feeling. Mm. So you feel the feeling. Can I be in a body that is shameful right now? Yes, I can. Or hell no, I cannot. And if it's the no, I cannot, then it's okay. Can I accept that I cannot be in a body that is full of shame? I'm still not changing mm. the shaming. Mm. I'm now accepting that I do not want what is. And that creates space. So the feeling is felt, even though mm. I cannot accept the feeling that I'm feeling. So those, those are the mm. two uh, first thing that I'm working with in, uh, in, in the first two fetters. Yeah. I think that's that's so powerful. It, it's a very practical. Anyone can can understand it. And, and with some insight, anyone can disidentify with from thoughts enough to see those thoughts. Yes. And it really is that simple, I think. Uh, I also like that you added in approaching it with a sort of um, curiosity, I, you know, like an innocence, right? Like, what is this? And and that that curiosity is natural. We all have it somewhere inside of us. And we, if when that that natural curiosity and innocence comes into contact with that part of us that may feel quite resistant, or even the fear of I'm fundamentally corrupted or something, um, it, it has a it, it tends to soften it. And then over time, it softens it tremendously. And then we we can actually, in some strange way, we can quite enjoy feeling an emotion like shame or guilt or resentment. Yeah. Uh, because what yeah, is because, this? Yeah, yeah, what is you're, this energy? Yeah, it's energy. Exactly. Like what, what, it's here right now, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah and and, mm -hmm. and yeah, you're completely right. right. And it's also the part with with who am I to judge that a feeling of shame is a bad feeling? Am I absolutely sure that I know that a yeah. feeling of shame is a bad feeling? Or is that just, you know, an idea that I have? Just like when I look at snow, I think it's cold. Well, have you ever tried to go outside when it's when there's snow outside and the wind is actually warm? It is possible. So I can mm. actually experience to mm. be in a body where I think I have an icky, icky feeling of shame. But when I really, really feel into it, mm -hmm. it's not really. I'm I'm clammy in my hands. I'm sweating a lot. I'm a little bit nauseated. And that's it. That's it. The, 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 mm. the physical sensation mm. is not... There is no physical sensation of shame. There's a feeling that I attach a mm. thought to and then I move, I'm working with the thought about it. I'm not even in my body experiencing mm. how it is to be in a body that is feeling shame. Because then I, that if I was, I would know that this is not shame. This is clammy hands, a bit of sweat and nauseated. Mm -hmm. It's not the, the, the label yeah. of shame is something that I have added with my mind. So, so when we yeah. completely dissect it like that, um, we also figure, find out that, that, that having that, sen let's say, that sensation of shame is is amazing because it gives me an insight oh my goodness i have just manipulated the entire situation into me being shameful i'm not i'm clammy and nauseated wow you know so there's mm. an insight in it what is it in this situation that rings a bell and makes me think that i'm shameful when i'm not i'm clammy and mm. and, and nauseated you know so every every single yeah. situation Beautiful. we're in is useful there's always something useful you cannot be selective in any way and think that getting cancer is a bad thing well i'm sitting here going like that's amazing i completely recommend it you know you mm. might become awake so mm. it's like there's there's no situation that is that is a good situation or a bad situation it's just a situation and whatever label we put on it makes us believe that it's a good or a bad thing
but it's not. It's just it's just happening. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I would even say that the habituated resistance we have around certain emotions—that um, is, the, that's what the label actually is—the the, the the envelope we put around that that collection of experiences that we call shame. And then the, the other thing I hear people say often is the negative emotions. They use that term, yes. and it, it stands out to me more and more because it's a common thing people say. But I I really wonder like. Do you, have you really thought about what negative emotions even means? Like, are there actually a collection of emotions that are negative and then there's ones that are positive? And no. what are the implications of even believing that? Well, like that you can choose the emotion. Well, that's not how it works. The emotion's there. And then you might be able to choose whether to avoid it or not, or to go into your mind or turn it into a narrative. Um, but at some point you'll realize the emotion's quite primary and it's because it's made out of sensations and those sensations are made out of absolutely nothing. And there's yes. just such a release in that yeah. uh, when you're willing to just <clears throat> stop it, essentially. Sorry. Yeah. The The way that I look at it is that, um, uh, no, there are no negative emotions at all. And the way that I look at it is from, again, from the Buddhist angle where you have Vedana. That is, that is a sensation. And a sensation can be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. When we put a label on that, it becomes a feeling. So I have a sensation, I put a label on it with a thought, and that becomes a feeling. If I keep repeating that experience over and over and over, my biochemical pattern is going to adapt and, and become similar with, with that thought that I have about it, and that becomes an emotion. That's how I see it. And then mm -hmm. I'm working with something where, that, that I call uh, the emotional indicators. And the emotional indicator is fear, anger, guilt, and shame. And those are kind of like the primary emotions that we can have. They are always an underlying belief. That there's always an underlying belief behind those emotional indicators. And whenever I get a feeling of fear, anger, guilt, and shame, it's an indication for me to stop. Because right now I'm acting on an underlying belief. I'm not present in the now. And I'm completely delusional in the situation. So I need to, you know, completely stop. And then look into, feel into the body. Okay, right now I'm so aggravated. Angelo, he's ridiculous. He's, he's so, so annoying. And he's just really, really pissing me off. And then I need to stop. Okay, that anger that I'm feeling right now, it cannot possibly have anything to do with anyone but myself. Because I can get this emotion when I'm sitting on a desert island. Angelo doesn't even need to be there. And I can get angry at Angelo. So it's, it's impossible that it has anything to do with you. And in that, I work with the, what I call the bubble of reality, that we have like this bubble around us that, we, that we're shaping our reality out, uh, out from. And on the inside of the bubbles, there are mirrors, nothing else. So everything that I see, Angelo, he's always so annoying. The way that he's asking questions, he's so, he's so pretentious. He's so pretentious, you know? That is me I'm talking about. It can only ever be me because the mirrors, are, I, I'm only looking at me from my background, from my experiences, saying that if anybody has, you know, uh, are direct or um, I'm sitting and making stuff up here, Angelo, you need to help me here. Um, being direct or being, you know, having a certain <laughs> um, uh, solidity in them, then I have been told since I was a child that that is a sign that somebody is pretentious. I have been told not to be pretentious. So I have been trying to be a chameleon my entire life, not having my own opinion. So when you are sitting there being so confident, then you need to change because otherwise I need to look at me and I'm not interested in that. So that is how I use the emotional indicators. Yeah. And that is fear, anger, guilt, and shame. Whenever we feel that, 
we are triggered in an underlying belief that we have been taught is a reality and we're shaping that underlying belief into our reality. And because it's only mirror on the insides, mm. I can only, you know, draw from my own experience and it has only to do with me. So no matter what you say, mm. no matter what I hear, what I think I hear you say, it's about me. And no matter what I say about other people, my opinion about other people is always only about me. It can't be about anyone else. I can only ever talk about myself. Hmm. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I find I find that to be exactly the case. Yeah. 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 So so no, there's no there's no negative emotions ever. There's uh, emotional indicators yeah. that are you know pointing us in a direction that we need to be quiet and look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when I was younger, I don't know how it hit me, but intuitively I came up with this, this knowing. Maybe I might have read it in a book, but it was when I feel anger or frustration or judgment toward another person in any way, and I catch, and I catch that I'm feeling that because at first I wasn't able to even catch it all the time. Mm-hmm. But when I catch that I'm feeling that, I would actually stop myself and I'd say, okay, what, did it, what is it about that person that reminds me of myself? And, and I just use that to, and it would be really hard sometimes if a person felt particularly frustrating to me or, but, the, but I noticed the more they felt frustrating or the more tendency I had to blame or point the finger outward, the more they probably were reminding myself of me in some way. And so I would keep putting that arrow back. I would just ask, what is it about me? What is it about that person that reminds me of myself? And yes. sooner or later, I would always find it. I'd be like, oh, okay, it's because they're, it could even be simple as they're confident or they're yeah. using a term I might use or anything. And yeah. then I'd say, oh, okay. And suddenly it still felt hot. It still felt like the emotion was still there, but it wasn't there and being projected outward like I need to do something about it out there. And mm-hmm. that, that makes you feel helpless in a way because that person's not going to change for you probably. That, the world's yeah. not going to change to suit you. But you can come in such contact with your own experience that, it, that the experience you know, changes and morphs and integrates. And, uh, yeah, so that's what I found. And it did lead to that insight that for the most part, when we look out, we, we really see ourself, (laughs) we see our own preconceived ideas about what it means to be a person and other people's motivations and so forth. Um, and, and especially, I would say, especially when there's emotional charge to it, um, it's, it's a good time to stop and look inside. Yeah. And so in one sense, the net, what some people might call negative emotions are actually gold mines if you're willing to feel it and and willing to stop and willing to stop blaming. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, when, when I work with the fifth feather, I work with, uh, with what I call verbally verbal indicators and it's a fear, anger, no, sorry, blaming, shaming, complaining and explaining. So every time I'm blaming someone for something, I need to look at myself when I'm complaining about something or someone, I need to look at myself. Um, um, when I'm shaming, obviously, surely I need to look at myself. Um, and then also explaining whenever I feel the need to justify my action, I need to look at what, what, what is really going on here? Why do I have a need to justify myself Mm -hmm. towards anyone ever? So it's, it's a very, very easy tool to be aware when you're out and about. And like you're saying, the beginning is really difficult to hear that basically every time you open your mouth, you're complaining, blaming, shaming, or explaining about something or about someone, about yourself. I mean, it's also it's also our own thoughts, the way that we talk to ourselves. Are, are, are we nice? Are you nice to watch yourself when you think? 
I, when you bump into a door, when you drop something on the floor, what is, what what are you saying? Are you kind towards yourself? Oh, that's okay. Mm. And just kind and compassionate towards what is happening, or are you on your case about something that just happened? So becoming aware of mm. of the verbal indicators of of uh, blaming, shaming, complaining, uh, and explaining are really really useful to do exactly what you did when when you were a kid, realizing that it's only ever about me, only ever. Do you, do you separate uh, the, the fourth and fifth fetter as yes. a process or do you have different ways of thinking about uh, or how, having people address desire versus aversion or ill will and so forth? <coughs> yeah, um, the fourth and the fifth. The fourth is about desire, all the things that I want. And the fifth is about all the things I don't want. And obviously, as I said, with the ego, those are basically the same. You know, I am not, I should be, I don't want, I do want. So it, it is the same, but I I make mm-hmm. I do a lot to separate them because they they had two different uh, starting points. Um, the the all the things that we want is something about um, is something that we normally call self worth or self esteem or that I that is low and I need to build myself up so I I want that or I want a diversion from what I'm feeling. You know, I'm, I don't feel okay with myself, so I'm sitting and flicking on Netflix or I'm scrolling on Facebook or I'm diverting myself in any way because there's something that I want because there's an internal experience that is not okay, that, that, that I do not want. But I've, I put a lot of focus on, on the projection, on what, it is, what, what is it that you think you will achieve? What is it you think that that, that partner is going to do for you that is not happening in you by itself. So I, I put a lot of focus on all the things that we want. I don't put them under one umbrella like I know uh, Ken and Christiana, uh, Kevin and K- Christiana doing. Um, I, I separate them because I find it very interesting mm. to look yeah. into to what is it. Um, for example, in a partner, uh, like we also talked about uh, last time we spoke, um, I actually think we talked about that when the camera wasn't rolling. But we talked about the part with the, um, oh. with yeah, with where we talked about um, um, the part of 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 wanting wanting a relationship or wanting a partner to make sure that something that is internal is not being felt. So it's a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. to put on put on another human being that the poor person is not you know ever you know, able to do anything about and is not supposed to do anything about. So it's very much about looking inward in in what is it that you do not um, think that you are, that you expect something else to make you be. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, the, the fifth feather, which is aversion, all the things we don't want, it's very much about the, um, it's very much about the very, very, very deep-seated um feelings underlying beliefs that we have in ourselves that is what i call when 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 is when the starting point has been toxic in the way that that um i have this part of me that i do not want and i do not even want to look at it so now i'm only focusing on you need to be different in the world you know you need to speak nicely um you need to uh, stop being gay you need to stop you know with all the things that you know all the discussions and arguments and, and workplaces and all of that is always about um, 
you wanting them to be different. And the only reason you want them to be different is so you don't have to look at you. So you don't have to look, take a look mm. in the mirror on the inside of your bubble of reality and seeing that you do not like the picture. But the thing is, mm. um, you, the picture is there. Things are, things are there. The icky person that you do not want to be, you are. And, and it's not going away by pretending that it's the other people that need to, to be different. You know, if, if, if only Janice in the office, she wasn't, you know, always so bossy and always telling everyone, then the workplace would be great. If only Janice, she didn't, you mm. know, um, that's complete delusional. Janice yeah. is here on the planet to be Janice. You know, she's not supposed mm -hmm. to do anything. I'm supposed to look at what is it in me? What is my toxic starting point that I do not want to be? Mm -hmm. And I do not want it so much that I rather want to tell everyone off and they need to change so that I don't have to look at myself. Mm. Do you find it tends to be related to the qualities of Janice or the person that you're sort of projecting of outward onto? Of course, that, of that, course. Yeah, of course. that's what I find too. Of course, because otherwise, I mean, other people are fine with Janice. I mean, Janice's mom loved Janice, right. and Janice is probably married, and her kids mm -hmm. think she's amazing. You know, I'm the only one with an issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about um, sixth and seventh fetters? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, the sixth fetter is very much about... Um, <laughs> Uh, practicing synesthesia it's um it's very much about um mm. dissolving the boundaries that we have to the outer world that we have this idea that there is um there's a cup um and and this is only a cup um it, if i put flowers in it, it it's a vase and i think it's round but when i sit and look at it after a while it's not round anymore when i sit and hold it with my closed eyes, all of a sudden it vanishes in my hand. So the outer world that we perceive is there and believe is there, it's not. It's just a perception. Mm -hmm. um, so the six feather, I love doing that. I, I love doing all the practices with the colors where you can you can sit and look at a color that you perceive as something and then, then the color changes in itself. Just like I said with the clouds that we think it's a gray, gray sky, it's never ever a gray sky. We just think it's a gray sky. And it's, it's like that with our sight that we don't we don't look at things we recognize things just like when we, when when we read a book you don't mm -hmm. read every single word you recognize the words and that's why you can read so quickly, um, but and it's the same when you look at things you that is a cup and that is a book and that is a pen and that is Angela we we look at things and we recognize it, so what I do when I work with the six filter is slowing down slowing down slowing down, and really really moving so slow that you have um, a lot of focus in, in really, really looking, really, really seeing what it is that, that, that you're looking at and don't take anything for granted. Um, I had, the, um, uh, in 2012, I was in an accident, in a sports accident, and I, I sustained a, a traumatic brain injury and um and i lost my it was really it was really a bad injury uh, and i lost my 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 ability to create memories um so i did i had like a three hour memory in the beginning and then three day memory and i lost my um 
I lost my, I had, um, I, I was functionally blind. So I, I could see things, but, but I couldn't see what was there. I could see what my brain thought was there. Um, and I had one experience um, that was in 20, it's very recent that my memory has come back. That was in September 21, everything from 2012 until September 21, I have no recollection of. Um, so it's very, very new. You and I said, yeah, yeah, it, it wow. was, it, it was like, um, um, it was like, um, I had, I had the same kind of, 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 of brain condition, what you can say, as you have with Alzheimer's and dementia, that, that everything that happened before the accident was completely clear. Everything about, you know, medicine and all of that completely was still there. But I could, for the life of me, not remember, you know, uh, yeah, new people or if I had wow. done shopping or stuff like that. Um, mm. And I had an experience talking about the six feta stuff. Um, um, I had practiced before the accident. I had practiced the, the 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 two dimensions. You know, when when we look at things, we we think it's three dimensions, but it's only the brain that is creating the the, the third dimension. Everything is when you look at it flat. It has, you know, a width and a height, and that's mm -hmm. it. It th doesn't have a depth. And I had practiced that in meditation previous, before my accident. But after the accident, I had a long, long period of five years or something like that, a long, long period where I saw everything two-dimensional. I couldn't have the, the, the depth in it. Um, and I, I remember I was, uh, at some point, I was uh, living in my family's summer house. We have a summer house uh, in the forest down by the beach where there's no internet and no television, no radio and anything. And I couldn't, I couldn't read and I couldn't write and I couldn't hold a conversation because I simply didn't understand what, what was said. I understood the individual words, but I couldn't put it together to, to a meaning. So I was basically sitting on the deck for a year and a half and just breathing in the forest and being the trees and, you know, being the squirrels and being the animals. And, um, uh, what was it I wanted to say? Yeah. It was about the, 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 it was about the, the delusion of sight. I had an experience mm. in, um, where I was, um, it, that was here in the UK in 2020, uh, during the first lockdown where I was, uh, in my, I was in my apartment and I heard like a huge crash in the kitchen and I went into the kitchen and I looked at the, at the kitchen and it was, there was nothing to see. There was like kitchen table and nothing to see. So I went to the table and put my hands on the table and then I could feel, feel soil. And the moment I could feel the soil, I suddenly could see that one of my plant, I love plants and one of my plants had fallen down and it has smashed on the kitchen mm. table. And there was soil and plant and pot everywhere, but I couldn't see it until I touched it. And that was um, mm. all those experiences that I had regarding my sight, that that functional blindness that I had really, really, um, really gave me a lot of amazing tools for people that are working with a six fetter. <laughs> because I know it's, it's, it's mm. all about the, it's all about how, how the brain perceives it, how we, how we think we perceive it. And an exercise that anyone can, mm -hmm. can do now is, you know, take a photo album from when you were a child and then take a picture that you looked at a million times and then really sit down with the picture, you know, breathe and really, really look at the picture, really see what is on the picture. 
and suddenly you will start to notice details that you haven't noticed before, what people are wearing, the way they are standing, you know, the distance between them. You will see a lot of things which you have never ever noticed before because we tend just to recognize things. We don't really look at things. So that's what I'm doing with the sixth fetter. And the mm. seventh fetter, the seventh fetter, thank you. And the seventh fetter, I look at, um, that is um, um, the formlessness in form. The way that I, the way that I work with it is uh, all the things that is nothing that we make into something, which means it is, for example, our past. Um, our, our past is not here. It's it's not it, it's it's not even it's it's not even real anywhere. It's a memory. No, and it's not even a memory. It's an experience that we had in the moment that when we perceived it in a certain way. And that experience we then added a post-it on with an interpretation of the experience. And from that moment, we only we only reacted on the post-it and put a post-it on the post-it. So 15 years down the line, we have completely forgot what, the, what was happening. And we're only talking about the bloody post-it that we're repeating over and over. That's why we have, like, like I have four siblings. We have, um, or three siblings, we're four in total. Um, we have completely different experiences about our childhood because we have different post-its. Um, and whenever, mm. if you have siblings, you have had completely different upbringings. Um, like, do you remember when mom said so-and-so and the other goes like, no, she never did that. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas. And we can all have, you know, parties like that for Christmas where, with the families and all that. But it's basically because we have, we have this... Um, locked in perception about what the past was and i'm i'm not trying to gaslight anyone that has trauma or or say that it didn't happen I'm, it's not at all what i'm doing i'm just opening up for the for for the for the possibility that what happened yes it happened it's not what i'm questioning i'm questioning all the post-its that you added to it afterwards could it be that you can you know look at every single post-it and getting into the into the raw experience and then be with compassion towards happened towards you but also be with compassion towards the perpetrator or the the, the other person involved in it um, for example if you've been bullied in school then partly look at the shame that you felt but you can also you know pull yourself out as an anthropologist and look at it at the shame that the bully did towards you because when you're bullying you still have a sense of shame otherwise you wouldn't bully and everybody that was standing and looking at it and didn't do anything they also had the sense of shame so you were not the only one there in that scenario with the sense of shame everyone involved had that sense of shame and had opening up for compassion in that in that way um, dissolves that fixed idea that we can have where we have created something out of nothing so that's the seventh mm. it's just one example of yeah. what i'm working with the se seventh yeah mm. beautiful yeah mm. yeah the seventh fetter is a fun one yes 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 mm. it is absolutely absolutely um the the one that i really enjoy yes, working it, the, the emptiness is the gift that keeps on giving yes <laughs> I was just going to say the, the emptiness is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely is. Absolutely is. And and also because we tend it's so difficult for us to um 
to leave the emptiness alone. You know, we 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 so want to put a label on it, and by that, it's not emptiness anymore. Um, it's one of the things why I really love Tao Te Ching. Um, you know, because it's just it makes it so clear when when you when you read the Tao that whenever you whenever you try to put a word on it, you have lost it. You know, then it's not it's not it's not the Tao anymore. Um, then then you have made it the the nothing has been made into something and by that we have lost it. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. This becomes quite ineffable. <laughs> the, the, the feather that I love to work the most with and, and, and uh, thank God the way that the way that the feathers are the way that I work with them. Uh, but it's also because I'm, I'm understanding things differently. As I said, um, it's the ninth feather. And the ninth fetter is, is as soon as you have understood about identification in the first three fetters, so you have understood the identification of, of thought, the identification of feelings, and you have understood the identification that you have in habits, in, in practices, the things that you do in your everyday life. When you don't identify with that anymore, then, you, then you're putting yourself in a position where you're opening up for flow. And with flow, it's that navigation that we have in us with within us we have that body yes body no all the time we we always very very clearly know if if we want to do same something or do not want to do something there's been made um uh that iowa experiment i think at some point with the with the cards with the blue the and the red gambling cards, experiment. Yeah, exactly. yeah 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 exactly um where 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 the 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 brain and the subconscious knows way before we know and in that you have the the access for, for for the body yes body no. I mean, if we measure your 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 pupil dilation and the perspiration in your hands and the and the heart rate and the flicker of your eyes and you can if if you start to open up to that you can feel when you have a body yes body no. And a body yes is when your pupils are dilating and where you get um, very very. Um, you have like this feeling of the way that it feels in my body. It's like this, this surge that is going like up. It's like an expansion I experience in me when I have a body. Yes, something of, that I really want to do. Um, and even though my mind goes like, no, 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 it's not a good idea. The body just goes like, yes, 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 yes. You know, it's just like really opening up. There's that, there's that you know, expanding energy. Um, where a body know is like well the mind might say that well you you have to do this you have to do this and you have to do that but the but the body know is very clear it's exactly the opposite your pupils are contracting and your it's like the energy in your body is just like going contracting inwards 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 and you have that feeling of going small your 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 breathing becomes very very you know shallow and really um, not present at all. So it's very easy to feel into a body, yes, body, no. And I, there's always people that are going, well, I can talk myself into a chocolate cake. That is very much a body, yes, always. But it's not, it's not. If you're completely honest with yourself, you can feel if it is a body, yes, or body, no. And when you open up for that, you open up for the ninth fetter, which is all about flow. And that is when you completely, you completely understand that you can only use your head to look good. You can't use your head to anything. If you allow yourself to be in that flow, 
where, where things are just moving and you're just moving with them and you haven't got a preference into going in one direction or the other direction. I usually say that you haven't got a preference to get a root canal or having a warm bath. You just flow with it and whatever is happening, it's completely fine because every situation is useful. There's something amazing in every single situation. Um, and, and I love that you can work with the ninth fetter already from when you have you know, seen through the first three where you can start to open up for that dynamic mm -hmm. of, of flow and synchronicity, which, which is just happening. So that's my favorite fetter. Yeah. Mm. I love it. I, I agree with that the, actually very much that you have access to that early on. And um, there's, you know, I think Adya Shanti has said it this way a few times, and it's pretty accurate that there's something inside of us that wants to say no. It wants to say no to waking up, no to being asleep, no to effort, no to effortlessness. It's just kind of saying no, 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 no. But I think after an initial shift in identity, you ha you do have some access to that. There are times when it's the no is there and it's not like you can do anything about it, but you can become aware of it. You can mm -hmm. feel into it. Um, but there there is there are definitely uh, moments of flow, moments of access. And um, you attune to that, I think. It's, it is, it's synchronistic. It makes sense. It's natural. It's there's innocence there, and by becoming more open to that, more attuned to the the conditions of that, and ultimately realizing that it's always available, yes. really at some level, um, yes. I think that's that's wonderful, and it, I think it it does weave its way through all other all the other work. Yeah, it does. It really, really does. And I, and I also think that the more the more we open up to the fact of not knowing, of not of of really acknowledging that that we cannot ever know everything it is impossible and we cannot we cannot um we cannot be any different and we cannot change anything and we cannot um achieve all the things we want to achieve what we can do is stop interfering you know just leave it mm. just leave it and then and then things you know take their own life and it's just moving and it's it's where it becomes so easy you know so, so still be, still be present if there is trauma and if there is, you know, fear, anger, guilt, and shame, and there is that underlying belief about you not being okay, then still have, you know, create space for that, but do not lock you into wanting to solve it because you can't solve it. It will dissolve itself. You just need to create space and, and have awareness about it. And then the flow will take care of the rest. Yeah. Mm, beautiful. Beautifully stated. Yeah. So you have you have a, a YouTube channel. Is that prime your primary area people can find you? Uh, yeah, I have. A, well, I have a homepage, uh, which is the more.uk, my last okay. name, and then .uk. That's my homepage. So it's where I collect everything on. But on my YouTube channel, um, okay. What I have what I have right now is the Awakening Curriculum, where I'm going through every fetter. I just finished the first fetter, and I just started on the second fetter. So it's I'm I'm. It's going to be a project that is going to, you know, be over years um, because I, I want to do it mm. really, really thoroughly where where um, where people get all the all the all the theory behind it. And on, and these things like what we're talking about now, getting all that information, the theory behind it. But then it, you're supposed to be either have a guide or be in a group that can help you or be with friends where you can talk about the material so you're, you're supposed to work with it with a group with other people because like i said your own starting point will, will always be 
either that or the other. You will either do, and, and those those two things are the same. You know, either you, like a, the example of, like I used, either you will keep neglecting yourself or you will, ne will neglect the others. So you need a different starting point and you can only get that through other people. And, and it's, you can do it with good friends or you can be in a group or, yeah, there's lots of different ways you can do it, but it is meant for you to work with um, actively. And then another thing I started with, mm. I, I, I've written a, a chapter for a book called uh, Autism and Buddhist Practice. Um, and it's uh, 16 mm. accounts of different uh, autistic autists where we are writing about how we have used uh, Buddhism to, to, to gain, um, yeah, become mindful in our lives and managing our meltdowns, shutdowns, masking, burnouts, all of that. Uh, and right now I'm interviewing them. And it's such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure sitting and speaking specifically with other autists about about the Buddhist practice, about meditation practice, and so on. And I have that on my on my YouTube channel Beautiful. as well. Yeah. Oh, you do. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. So, so is that that's published now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Yeah. There's. A, Wonderful. There's a, oh, uh, oh, Angela, I want to tell you, uh, one of the contributors in the mm -hmm. book. Um, she is, uh, she was 11 when she wrote the chapter. She's 13 now. Her name is Jessica and she's autistic mute. And, um, normally uh, autistic mutism is called selective mutism. It's, um, it's such a bad description because there's nothing selective about it. You know, it's because you're overwhelmed and you need a long time to think before you can speak. And it's usually happening to, to yeah. autists. And Jessica sees, um, she's, she's autistic mute. And um, and she has agreed to do the interview, which is amazing. Which means that oh, I, I am it. yeah, it's so good. So I have uh, I have sent her a video about the questions that I want to ask her, and then she she has the video now, and then she's recording her replies when she's sitting in her bedroom at home with the door closed and she's calm and she has all the time in the world to think about the answer, and then she will she will answer you know the way she can, and then I'm gonna edit it into into it you know an interview afterwards i'm so excited i'm so excited yeah that's so cool oh i'm really happy to hear that i want to see that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. very cool um, yeah yeah so but but okay. that's also well, what i'll do then is i'll put all of these links go ahead no 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 it's fine everything is on my channel on my youtube channel. Oh, i was just gonna say yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah i'll put all these links um under the video that we record here uh so people can see your you your um main page your website and your YouTube channel. And then anything else you want, let me know. And I'll have all these links for people to find your resources. Um, for anyone watching, they, I'm, they already know, but your, your clarity and your precision is really remarkable about this stuff. I mean, we're talking about subtle stuff, but you're talking about it in very plain terms and very actionable terms, which is really awesome. I mean, it's the, the, it's the kind of stuff you have to do in these deeper stages of realization where you really just look at something, slow way down, and really look at something and see what are the layers of processing that are occurring and mm. back that down until you just have that immediate experience. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank All right. you. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> thank you. It was a great <laughs> conversation. I'm, I'm sure we'll have some other conversations in the future and, uh, I would um, love that. Yeah. yeah, and good luck with your with your project. Yeah, I'm looking forward to yeah. seeing those videos. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you.